Today we're talking about um, salvation and baptisms and redemption and all that stuff. And we're going to start this journey on redemption also coming up. But, um, but I really wanted to speak on the subject of water baptism and what that means. And you might think, okay, I'm checking off because I've been water baptized already. Don't. You know, a lot of people get water baptized sometimes because of religion or tradition, and they don't know what it means. And sometimes if we don't know the meaning of a thing, then we miss out on, on, on its power, on the power behind it, because it is for lack of knowledge that sometimes we cannot apply our faith to things that if we knew and we would apply our faith to, we would benefit from. You see what I'm saying? Like, there, there's, there's things in the Word, there's promises that because you don't know them, you can't apply faith to them, and they cannot manifest a blessing in your life. And so, even if you've been water baptized, if there's things that you didn't know about it, you could put your faith to it today and realize, wow, you know, I'm, I'm going to receive that. I'm going to see myself differently because of that. And so I'm hoping this is going to bless you regardless of when you got water baptized. And, um, you know, one of the things is we believe that water baptism is not for, for the babies, uh, but it's for the adults. And we get this out of the example of Jesus. He was baptized, you know, when he was 30 years old. And that's how he started his ministry. You don't have to be 30 years old, but what it means is that he had an understanding of what it meant. And he did it because of obedience. And he did it to set an example for us. So why do we get baptized? We get baptized because of obedience and because we're following the example of Jesus. However, it means so much more than, well, I'm just doing it because Jesus did it. And so I want us to understand this. It says in Acts chapter 2 and then um, in verse, uh, let's see, 38. It says, Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things that we do is that when we get water baptized, then there's a bunch of powerful prayer people here in our team that pray for anybody and all of them as they come out to be filled with the Holy Spirit in case they haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we have access to both. And so uh, when you witness them coming out today, you know, they'll be coming out of the uh, baptismal waters and then they'll be uh, getting prayed for over here. And so... That's when we want our, our prayer team and our leaders. But um, Jesus called us to be baptized, okay, in water. And the word to be baptized means to be fully submerged underwater. So tell me, when have you seen a baby fully submerged underwater? That wouldn't be right, right? That would not be okay. And so that is why we do it. And, you know, and, and then people uh, sometimes get concerned. Well, what happens if, if something happens to the baby and they weren't baptized? Well, you know, the Bible tells us that the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. You know, so therefore, uh, we don't have to worry about what would happen to a child because they're not of the age of accountability yet. And there's an age of accountability when you get to that place in your life where you can decide and you make decisions on your own if you're going to serve God or you're not going to serve God, if you're going to become a disciple of Jesus or you're not, of, you know, which ways are you going to follow and so that's why we wait for water baptism until, you know, they're of the age where they've accepted Jesus in their heart on their own. And they say, I, I want to do that. I want to get water baptized, you know. So most of my children have been water baptized, but we made sure that it was their idea. They were the ones that wanted, you know. I think sometimes uh, I heard this guy, you know, just telling a joke about water baptism saying, you know, I got baptized, you know, 
Mennonite when I was a baby, you know, just sprinkle the water. And then I saw my friends growing up. They were getting baptized in, in these tanks, and they were getting dunked. And it looked so cool. He's like, I want to do that. It just looks so awesome, you know. We're like, hold on. you got to understand why we get baptized. It is way cooler, but <laughs> you got to know why you're doing this. Anyways, I, I, I was reminded to, I got baptized at 13 years old. Um, I grew up in the Baptist church, and I still remember, you know, uh, because my grandma gave me a watch, and she made it just such an important thing. And I still have that watch today. I was wearing it the other day. I'm like, I can't believe I had this watch since I was 13 years old. And it's very special to me because it commemorates, you know, when I got water baptized. And so I believe you should make a big deal about it, and you should go celebrate afterwards. And, you know, we give you a certificate that you can just, you know, have for uh, memory's sake and know the date and everything of when that happened because it is a big deal. One of the things I also say about baptism is that you didn't decide to, to follow Jesus when you were in the tank. You did that way before. You decided in your heart that Jesus is your Savior and you believed in him and you gave him your life, right? And then you get water baptized, which is kind of like a wedding in the sense of when you're getting married, it's not when you fell in love. When you're getting married, it's not when you committed your heart to each other. But when you're getting married, is the public announcement to everyone that says, Hey, I am choosing to give my life over to this woman for the rest of my life. Forever. Ooh. And I am choosing to love this man, you know, for the rest of my life. That's, it's a public profession of our love, right? And so baptism is very much of the same type of picture. It, you didn't fall in love that day. You didn't decide that day. You had already committed your heart to the Lord. But baptism is saying, hey, everyone, I want you all to know, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Right? And so that's what's happened. That's why it's so important and so powerful. Because you're making a commitment not just before God and the angels, but this congregation, right? And now don't worry about it. We're not going to call you out, you know, if, if you don't come the Sunday after your baptism. We only call out people that want to be accountable, you know. That forced accountability is not something we do. <laughs> but if, if you ask, hey, you know, I, I'm getting baptized. I want you to help me walk this out. You know, we will. We will. We'll be here for you. All right? And so there is four uh, parts of the work of Jesus that are represented in baptism. Okay? The first one is that he died. And in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So the first thing that water baptism represents is that we died with him. We died with Christ. Okay. The second thing is that he was buried, and we were also buried with him. Okay. In Romans 6, 3 uh, and 4, I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. It says, Or have you forgotten that all of us, who were immersed into union with Jesus, the anointed one, were immersed into a union with his death. Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him. 
so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk in the freshness of new life. Say with me, new life. And so that's why we hold you down as long as possible. (laughs) Just kidding, right? But see, it's a representation when you go under that you died with Christ and that you were buried with him. And so the third thing is that, uh, that it means is that he resurrected, he was raised to new life, so we're also raised to new life with him. See, a lot of the things uh, that we do in a wedding are also very, um, they're illustrations of what the spiritual meaning is. I'm smiling because I'm about to break it to some of you who have been married your whole life and you're just now going to realize something. But where do you get married? You get married at the altar, right? So you come up, you go up the steps, right? Dun, 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 dun. You meet each other. You're at the altar. Oh, we're at the altar, right? Some of you light up a candle together. Oh, now we're one. Some of you do the sand thing. Oh, mix it all up. So beautiful. You cannot unmix it anymore. Shake it up real good. You're one. Oh, that's beautiful, right? But what most people don't realize is that altars are for sacrifices. That's right. When you came up the altar, you died to yourself to serve her willingly and out of love for the rest of your life. You put your life on the altar. That's why you're one. It's because you died to yourself. And and she did the same thing. See, altars are so important. It's where things go to die. (laughs) Which is why it's so powerful, you know, when people come and worship at the altar or something, you know. Because it takes a certain kind of surrender. For marriage, it takes surrender. To serve Jesus, it takes surrender, right? And so to get water baptized, it takes surrender. And so he died. We died with him. He was buried. We were buried with him. He rose again. We, we rose to new life with him. It says in Romans 6, uh, 5, And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may, may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we are also raised to life as he was. You know, 2 Corinthians five seventeen says, For all those who are in Christ are new creations. The old has passed, is gone. Everything has been made new. And number four, he ascended. And this is so powerful. Because Jesus, after he rose again, he also ascended to the Father. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, it tells us that we ascended with him. It says, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. And you're like, but I'm here. Right, but your spiritual position is in heaven with him. That's why the Bible gives us this idea that we're ambassadors you know, in this earth, that we're not of this world, but we are here, right? We're doing something, we're being commissioned. What are we being commissioned to? Well, to make disciples and reconcile people to the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us. 
We're supposed to make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we're supposed to reconcile people back to Jesus. People who don't know him, people that don't know the good news. See, every religion in the world is about what humans must do to get closer to God. But Christianity is the only one that is about what everything he's done to get close to us, and we just have to accept it and receive it and say yes and thank you. And see, that's what causes, when somebody understands that concept, it's what causes a life of free surrender. Instead of this life of forced Christianity, of like, oh my God, let's see how many times I can make it into the church this week or this month, you know. Oh, it's going to be real tough. Oh, they're talking about money again. Oh, my money, my money, my money, you know. And now what are we going to do? You know, I have to serve also. I have to serve. Oh, this is going to look so bad if I don't serve, you know. And God doesn't want that. He wants us to understand that there's no other way for salvation except through Jesus Christ. He's the, the way, the truth, and the life. Is that There's no other way. He wants you to understand, like, he did everything that needed to be done to come close to you so that you could have, you could be reconciled and have a relationship with the Father and you can reconcile others because that's where real purpose in life is found. And out of that abundance of gratefulness, you willingly surrender your life. I love how Paul called himself in Romans 1 and 1 verse 1 and, 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 and in many other books, you know, he calls himself a bondservant to Christ. You know what a bondservant is? It's, a, it's, a, it's someone who volunteers to be a slave. So he sets us free. We're completely free to do whatever we want. You know, he sets us free from, from the bondage of sin. He sets us free. You're a free person. You're not forced to do anything. You don't have to do anything. He sets you completely free. So that now through your own will and through your own thankfulness and gratefulness, you can choose to surrender your life to him and say, I am willing to serve you for my whole life. And I have, I've had uh, these times of worship many times in my life where, where I look at what the Lord has done in my life and I'm, and I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful. You know, there, there's so many things to be grateful for. And I'm sure every one of you has, you know, uh, an unlimited list of things to be grateful for. And you have all this stuff to be grateful for. And, and so many times, I just get to the point where I'm like, like that song says, you know, what else can I give you? What else can I surrender? My life is yours. My family is yours. My, my finances are yours. I live for your will, I live for what you want. What else could I possibly do? And I get to the place where I understand when Paul said, I'm a bondservant. M meaning, my whole life is the greatest offering I can give you. Romans 12, chapter 1 says, I present myself as a living sacrifice, right? Worthy of praise. As a living sacrifice, as because there's nothing else. I, I, when you give it all, you give it all. And, and what else, what's the most precious thing you can do is, is your life, is your freedom, your surrender. And so many people are on the fence of that, you know, and that's why they haven't, that's why it's hard to get people to volunteer. That's why it's hard for people to give finances and stuff because they're holding everything back because they have not yet realized what he did and the price that he paid. And 
how free we are and how blessed we are and how much more blessed we'd be if we fully surrendered our lives to him. And so when you don't realize that, your worship isn't as passionate, your giving isn't as full, you're always hesitating and, and, and on the line of FOMO, right? Ah, I'm just wondering if there's, I'm, I'm, I have fear of missing out of something better. I have fear of missing out, you know, what if this happened? What if God doesn't come through? What if I give and there's no harvest? What if, and we live with this, with this fear instead of living a fully surrendered life that says, I live for you. My life is to glorify you. My time is yours. My finances are yours. My family is yours. But it sounds so scary, doesn't it? Because your mind goes, well, but what if? What if I don't like it? What if it's not as fun? What if I miss out on my youth? What if I miss out on my retirement age? Season, whatever. Sorry. I'm not there yet. I don't know what to call it. So. <laughs> what if I miss out on this? Or what if I miss out on that? And, and so this fear keeps us from fully surrendering our lives to him. And so we could never get to the place where Paul gets where he's like, I'm bondservant. I am, I, I, like, was he a slave, a servant? No, he wasn't. He was a free man. He was a child of God, but he uses this term to give us this idea of what it's like to fully surrender your life to, to Jesus and be like, I'm all yours. Anything you say, whatever you say, it'd be my pleasure. Are you with me? Wouldn't blame you if you're not. And so... He died, we died with him. He was buried, we were buried with him. He rose again, we rose with him. And he ascended, and he also brought us along and gave us a, a place seated with him in heavenly places. See, um, That's our mission. Second uh, Corinthians 5.18 says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Reconciliation. I was thinking about um, how to illustrate how great salvation is. Because it's free and you can't pay for it. You could never earn it. You could never be good enough to earn it. But yet he did everything so that we could just receive it. So that no man could ever take um, um, credit for their salvation. So we could never take credit for our salvation. Um, and I was thinking about the redemptive power of the blood because it says in Ephesians 1.7 that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So in him we have redemption by his blood. And, uh, and I was thinking that's pretty amazing because if we think about the worldly vehicles 
for redemption, you know, we could take an insurance policy, okay? And an insurance policy, you pay for it monthly, and it covers you, right, <laughs> of everything. Well, it depends who you have, right? <laughs> that little song came to my head. Anyways. And, and you're like, okay, so if your insurance policy is really good, you know, something happens, you make a claim on that insurance policy, and they restore you back to how, how it was, right? So if you had a brand new car with no dents or nothing, you get in an accident, boom, insurance comes. But you're paying for that monthly. And then you will pay for that monthly too, right? Because it will go up, right? And so, yeah, there's an insurance policy. Um, I was thinking of warranties, right? Warranties, um, uh, well, well, first of all, insurance is not retroactive, so it won't cover anything that happened before, right? As a matter of fact, if you try to get health insurance and you're not in great shape, they might even say, nah, you know, call someone else, right? And so, okay, but yet we all use them, and we've all used insurance policies, and they're, they're great. But then you have... Um, uh, warranties and, and warranties and extended warranties. How many of you have gotten a phone call this week that your warranty expired? <laughs> yeah, that was a bad news when the warranties expire, right? Because they cover everything, but you're paying for it, and it's only for a limited amount of time, and, and that's it. it doesn't cover anymore. And, um, and I was thinking, like, everybody has these insurances and all these warranties and, and all this stuff because we, we want to protect our stuff. Yet, so many people don't understand the value of salvation and, and the blood of Jesus, that through the blood of Jesus, we receive redemption for our lives. And that one, you didn't even pay for. He paid for. I was like, that's crazy, you know? He paid for that for us. And it's retroactive. So if you come to Jesus today... He doesn't say, I cover you from here on. He says, I forgive everything from the past. You're a new creation now. Whoa. You kidding me? Like, imagine that an insurance company comes in and they're like, hey, you know, uh, your home that was built in the 60s, you know, we're going to insure it and you can make any claims for anything that's wrong with it. Like, how many of you think that would be good news? I mean, you might even go breaking some stuff, you know? <laughs> Those are really good news. You know, the gospel is the good news. And we don't realize, when I come to Jesus, he's, he makes it all new. All new. Now, let's say you came to Jesus 30 years ago, and you've made some mistakes ever since. Well, guess what? This plan covers you going forward. Anything in the future is also covered. So you make mistakes in the future, they're already covered. How does that work? This is the power of redemption. Because even those that came before Jesus, like King David, if you read in Psalms, he speaks of redemption and you go, what did this guy know about redemption? Redem like, Jesus hadn't even died yet. Well, you have to remember that God works outside of time. And that's why we can say 
that your future sins are also covered in the work of the cross. Because the Bible tells us nothing can separate us from his love now. Do you have to repent? Do you have to? Well, I would hope so, because repentance means to turn around and stop doing the same dumb mistakes that you were making. You know, so we do repent, but it's already covered. There never is a question, is my claim going through? There's never the question, are they going to reject this claim? Can you imagine if heaven worked like that? No, oh, nope, nope, no, no, no. This was premeditated. <laughs> this was premeditated. You knew better. You actually done this before. <laughs> You're going back to the law, my friend. Try to earn this one on your own. Can you imagine for a moment how terrifying that would be? Well, we don't have to. The blood of Jesus covers us. Right? That's how good he is because he wants us to live from a righteous place. And so in the next few weeks, I'm going to start talking about the power of redemption. You know, Psalms 111.9 says, He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. See, King David had a revelation of the coming Messiah. Right? You know that. You read in the Psalms, he's describing the crucifixion everything. He had a revelation of the coming redemption that was going to happen. And that's why King David, I believe, and the people in the Old Testament, if you don't agree with me, it's okay. We're still family. I believe they had a type of access into the work of Jesus at some point, somehow. Okay. Psalms 130, verse 7 says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. And uh, I, was watching this, uh, I was watching this video, uh, and you probably heard similar stories like this, you know, of people who die and go to heaven or, or something else. But this one was about a, a guy who died, uh, a drug deal went bad, and he got, uh, well, he got killed. I won't tell you how he got killed, but anyways... He got dead. <laughs> I mean, if I'm talking right. But. And he's at the, you know, in the hospital in the ER room. And I think uh, the doctors are trying their best. And, you know, he comes back to life after being dead for quite some time. And, uh, and he says, he said, I died and I went to hell. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. You know, normally you hear people that say, I died and I saw heaven or something. This guy said, I died and I went to hell. And, um, and I he said, it was the most terrifying thing. I looked into the devil's eyes. And uh, this is his testimony, right? I'm, I'm not saying whatever, if, if, if it's true or not, but, but this is the doctor telling the story. He died, he saw the devil, and he prayed that God give me another chance. I will change my life. He comes back to life and Indeed, his life is completely changed, you know? And so, I was just thinking about this. Like, we, we don't know how, how it all works. We have a really good idea. But here's the thing. I would never want to chance it. Right? Would you want to chance it? I mean, there's people like, ah, there's no heaven, there's no, okay. Do you want to take that chance? Because it's 
forever. It's for eternity. And there's a man who gave his life so that we could live a life that is abundant and freely choose to follow him and freely choose to serve him. And in turn, he said he'll bless us even more. So you tell me, is salvation and is following Jesus really like plan B option? Or is it like probably the best option anybody could ever choose in their life? 